Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of NYC, New York City. And New York's got a great dance music history, as we all know. Disco, Studio 54, Paradise Garage, Inferno, and you name it. Underground, Palladium, Roxy, Roseland, all those great clubs. But us New Yorkers have to go to the Windy City. We got to go west to see and hear some great sounds. And for a while, I've been scratching at this man's door each and every week going, can you do my show? Can you do my little show? Welcome to Drew House Door. He said, finally came back. He says, I'm going to do it. All right. So now let me tell you who it is. We're going back into the 80s. This guy's been around a long time. Record producer, DJ, keyboard player, artist, record label owner, international success. He's done it from house music to hip hop, gold records, the whole nine. Proud to say that he's a friend, know him, you know, spoke to him over the years, different times. We were in Amsterdam together and all that. And I've always revered, and a lot of us revered one of his records to be like our anthem. And when we say an anthem, this truly is an anthem. And those that know Promised Land now know who I'm talking about. So I'd like to welcome Chicago's finest to True House Stories, Mr. Joe Smooth. What's hey, up? <laughs> Thank Joe. you very much. Thank you, Lenny. Um, you're an icon. To me, you're a billionaire and icon in our music because you have taught us and led the pack, you know, and did things pre to any of us doing it. You know, when we were dreaming about it and we were doing it, there's a few guys that I can say, God bless that, you know, you know, legend, that's it. Iconic legend billionaire of music, you know, yes, you're rich. We know that and all that, but we're talking about just what you have given all of us musically speaking. You know, well, thank you. Thank you. It's greatly appreciated. So, of course, you know, I want to say to everybody, welcome. And people are coming in just saying he is the man. People are just writing, yes, Joe. Yes, Joe is the man. Let's get right into it because Joe's going to have a lot to tell us. Um, everybody knows I asked the same question. It's a redundant question, but it's the show's question. Joe, as a young kid, the young Joe, before the Joe the DJ, Joe the keyboard player, like when you're a teenager, how did you find music or music find you? How did I find music? So now I I mean it may, it may sound crazy or whatever, but I was a big fan of um it's two sides. So I was a big fan of uh like those old black and white movies to Fred Astaire. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ginger Rogers. So, you know, I was a big fan of all those musical type uh, old black and white movies back in the day. So I would be into that. And then my mother, um, so my family is originally from uh, from Honduras. And, um, <clears throat> and my mother was um, very instrumental in bringing, so you had like the, the Spanish and the, um, 
the groups, the reggae groups, you know, Byron Lee and the Dragonaires and, and groups like that, her and her girlfriend were the were really the first people to bring those groups to the States. And um, so I was like around music on that side. And then I was also um, influenced by, you know, artists like Stevie Wonder, you know, the Motown sound, um, you know, those were... Uh, Michael Jackson, uh, you know, just I'll say the Jacksons, you know. Um, That's right. It was and, the Jacksons, right? Right, right. And, Michael Jackson, right? Jackson. <laughs> and you know, hearing that music um, when I was when I was a teenager, even even before that, my uh, I would always think, "Wow, I want to be able to do that," you know. So, um, so my mother wanted to actually have my. Uh, my sisters learned how to play the piano, so she had bought a piano. So since the piano was in the house, you know, I was busy tinkering around, so I was trying to replicate what I was hearing, you know, from artists like Stevie Wonder and, you know, the Jacksons and, like, the Motown sound and stuff like that. So um, just I, I was, while, while everybody else was outside playing and stuff like that, I was in the house on the piano for, like, you know, six hours, you know, a day, just kind of figure, figure music out. So that's, that's really, you know, just me wanting to be able to create those sounds is, um, you know, it's where that whole love and um, that passion and direction of my direction of, for music came from. So, so let me have this correct. Um, your sister was formally training to play piano? No, my mother just bought a piano. Because <laughs> I want to know who's got the, it was it by ear, everybody's playing? I'm playing by ear. So I was never formally trained. They never, they never actually got on the piano at all. <laughs> I just kind of, <laughs> I just kind of took over the piano and it was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, like I said, everybody else was outside playing and I'm in the house trying to create some music. So, wow. um, so you are you are gifted then. So you have that gift that you can hear something and just play, figure it out. When you... Well, yeah, it, I can right and figure it out. And it's even like like today, you know, when I hear um, like if somebody wants me to do a mix or I hear a vocalist, I kind of hear the whole production in my head. And um, you know, being that I can play then I'll just go in the studio and knock it out. You know, like there, there's a, a lot of, um, like with the record companies, when I would do remixes and stuff like that, they would always be like, how did you turn that around so fast? You know, because they could send me something or ask me to do something in the morning and I send them a finished mix, like an afternoon, you know? <laughs> because I heard everything in my head and I'm just like, okay, let me just put it all down, you know? And... Um, so you're trying to say to us the word prodigy is in your vocabulary? <laughs> You hear that, people? He's not just a, he's just not your regular, you know, cafe con leche. He is the he is the top notch part of the coffee. He is the man. You know, it's um, it's a passion, you know, and I I'd have to say it's it's a, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of it is is just God given talent, you know, and I think God, you know, will come channel through. You know, you hear the music, the sound. It's like. Uh, a lot of times when I'm doing mixes, it's uh, I'm doing it almost to what, uh, like a lot of remixes I've done are, they sound like the song should, like they just kind of fit with the song. You know, it's not like it's a mix, like 
you know, a lot of times you hear songs that people do or mixes, and it's like they did music to just to kind of and put the the vocals on top of it, but the song wasn't really made for the music. And I try to really um, craft the music to fit the song, you know. So, uh, so in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, <laughs> when you started production work. Did anyone take you under their wing or you just like figured this all out? Went to a store? I just figured and... it out. <laughs> you know what? So I uh, was packing. Was it DJing first and then how did it work? DJing. For you? It was, well, so it was, I, I taught myself how to play when I was like 12 years old. So, so I was always playing the piano. So in, um, in high school, I went to a school here in Chicago called De La Salle. So there was um, a guy who DJ who had equipment and all that named CJ the DJ. So a lot of people know, you know, and um, and so CJ had his own kind of certain sound. And it was it was interesting, and I was like, wow, you know, I want to be able to do that too. So <laughs> um, so I would hang out with CJ a little bit. He showed me like around uh, around the turntables, and um, so I picked up the you know skill of DJ, you know, while in high school. So we would do, you know, like high school parties and stuff. Uh, you know, when you, when you talk about house music in Chicago, house music in Chicago really developed from the high school DJs, you know, the teams with mm-hmm. house parties. Um, and so, you know, we would do uh, block parties, you know, parties in people's yards, people's basements, you know. Then you had the the high school parties at the you know the gym. Uh, you had people like Little Lewis, uh, Craig Loftus. Um, uh, Yo, what's uh, up with those Catholic schools? Wait a minute, I smooth said the same thing. <laughs> you know, we did these parties at these Catholic school gyms. I'm like, man, it was, it was, it was good, know, huh? Mendo, uh, Quigley South, De La Salle. You know, everybody was you know doing a party. Mendo was probably the biggest. Uh, school for for doing uh, the high school parties and stuff like that. Then you, you did have public school like Whitney Young. Well, actually, like all the kids would come to the public to the Catholic schools, you know, <laughs> the Catholic school parties. Um, so so I kind of you know developed that skill uh, when I was in high school. Like I said, we would do like um, you know the high school parties and stuff like that. And then from from the high school parties, you know, when I went I went to U of I down in Champaign. Now I was down there with Kevin McFall, Jerry McAllister, um, um, well, just uh, a lot of the cats from uh, Cedric Ball, a lot of the cats from Chicago who were DJs, and we just all got together and we would do all the parties. You know, Chicago had the hottest music, and so when we did the parties, they were like the best parties down there. <laughs> you know, we would do like. Uh, some of the AKA, the uh, Alpha frat parties. Um, Cedric used to play at a, a nightclub down there. So I would come down and play at the nightclub down there. And at some point, um, I I went down there uh, like Kevin and Jerry for engineering. So I came back to Chicago and started doing um, um actually went to the Art Institute of Chicago and um, got into graphic design and um, and then started frequently 
a club called Smart Bar on the north side of Chicago. Um, and now I was underage at the time. Like every, <laughs> like everybody <laughs> was. <laughs> but like Smart Bar at the time was like an eighteen and over club, and um, so I would go in and you know. Uh, Joe Shanahan, who's still the owner, you know, Smart Bar is probably the oldest, most established club in the U.S. Um, so he graciously would let me play every now and then in the in Smart Bar. So this was like nineteen, going from eighty two to eighty three, nineteen eighty two, eighty three. Um, at that point, Mark, who used to be the um, the head DJ, decided to move to New York. And when he decided to move to New York, Joe asked me if I wanted to take his spot and DJ at Smart Bar. So, um, so I got into Smart Bar, um, and um, so Smart Bar. Now, back at that time in the '80s, most DJs were programmers, and they weren't really blending. And so they really had never really experienced somebody who could mix music together. So that's kind of where the name Joe Smooth came from. Oh, they, really? That's where Joe Smooth comes from. So the bartenders, and I was like, oh, that's Joe Smooth, you know, because the way I was blending, you know, because I was, Smart Bar originally, you know, is a, was an alternative rock club. You know, there, I was playing uh, Tears for Fear, Public Image. Uh, at the same time, mixing it in with like TSOB or, you know, Hit Run or, you know. Um, Thank so. you, Joe, for mentioning that because I tell people the same thing was going on in New York. You had to play Duran Duran and all these records right. to play a black record in between. You couldn't just play a black right. record. Because you would have been. Right. Exactly. So. So I kind of introduced that music to that part of the, the city, you know. Frankie, Frankie um, and the warehouse are more downtown, more on the south south end of the city, and um, and the warehouse at that time was predominantly a, a black gay crowd, so it wasn't really being exposed to your um, the more eclectic crowd. I'll say, you know, so you know, black, white, Asian, whatever denomination, whatever you know. Um, so they weren't getting what what Frankie was doing at the warehouse in in any club, so I kind of like brought that over to the north side, and um, and what happened? It also um, being that Smart Bar was so eclectic, I would get music that they weren't getting on the south side, you know, and. I was hearing all like the funky stuff, you know, stuff that Peshmo was doing, uh, Blanc Mange, you know, groups like that, and finding the the cool tracks from, um, you know, from some of those artists and and exposing the the crowd to that kind of music. So you would get Frankie and Ron would come up there to the to the Smart Bar and kind of take what I was playing sometimes back to the South Side to the kids, you know, to play. So, um, you know, it, it's um, historically what happens is you don't hear about my story a lot because as a DJ, because when you're talking about like Frankie and Ronnie, you're getting the perspective of, of teenagers who are kind of exposed to, uh, you know, this uh, incredible music, 
you know, this incredible atmosphere, musical atmosphere. And so you're hearing their um, teenage impressions of what they were experiencing back then. Smart Bar, the crowd that was coming there for the most part was older than me, you know, so you're not hearing, you're, they're adults, they're all older than me now. So you weren't never really hearing uh, that perspective because, you know, it was, a, it was an adult perspective. You know, they were at the club having a good time, drinking and partying. You know, so um, that was norm for them. So, like they would, it was a watering place exactly, drinking. Exactly. They're not, they're not, they're not Jones and like we were. Oh my God, we were right, at this right. <laughs> yeah, they were having a that, great time. No, that guy's good. He's good. That's what they would say. He's good. Right, yeah, right. exactly. He's good. Let's, you know, they were having a good time. Smart bar. Um, now, what a lot of people uh, also miss is um, is that. When you talk, talk about clubs like the warehouse and a lot of those parties, most of those, like the warehouse, the original warehouse held maybe 250 people. So, you know, it wasn't you like got, a major sorry, club. What, you said? what did he say? 200, you, you, get this 2,000 people out of your head. 250 intimate party. Right. Right. It was, it, it was an intimate party. So the the difference, what happened with, uh, like with Smart Bar, Smart Bar originally, Barbara holds about the same, about 250 people. But what ended up happening is because it started to become too popular. And then it went from Smart Bar to Joe opening up the Cabaret Metro upstairs because of the overflow. So we would probably get 1,500 people through there, you know. Um, and so this is, people kind of missed the perspective on, you know, what was actually going on. Um, then with me playing keyboards and stuff like that. So when when Insonic first came out with the Mirage, uh, so I got like one. Um, so you had the Insonic. So I would bring that into Smart Bar. Yeah, so you had your Mirage key, Insonic Mirage keyboard. Okay. In wow. The, in the booth with me. So I had that in the booth. I had a um, drum machine. So I would just have everything linked up and I would play along with and kind of create music while I was DJing at Smart Bar. This is where the whole uh, Time to Jack in its house and all that came from. So Chip came in to, to Smart Bar and said, Joe, I'm trying to work on this project. I want to put some music out. Could you um, could you help me you know, with your keyboard, drum machine? So Chip, uh, Kirk Landrum, Eric E.T. Taylor, um, wow. We all got together and created this Jack Track CP. In and, the club? Well, no, it wasn't in the club. They came to the house and then we ended up in the okay. studio. Got know, it. Doing that. But, but it's just excess, access to equipment. You know, people were trying to get access to equipment back then, you know, um, because at that time as DJs, everybody was trying to create their own little fresh sound to be able to add something else to their, you know, arsenal of music, you know. So, um, so that's where that came from. And then after, you know, doing that with the Jack Track CP, you know, chipping around, selling them out the truck of his car and all that kind of stuff. And it got popular. Um, <laughs> the one it, stop. We call that the one stop. Drive around and get the keys to give me some cash. Yo, man, I want 50 bucks or whatever it was for the records, 250 each. Give me my money. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so from that, <clears throat> um, you know, after he did that, then we ended up 
over at um, at DJ International. Rocky was trying to start up, you know, DJ International, um, looking for artists, looking for music to put out, you know, because, you know, people were trying to jump on this Chicago sound, you know, whatever the music was, you know. I, I have to say Jack Tracks and Time to Jack in its house. Um, it was kind of like a, a they, they were defining tracks for the genre, you know. Because it's like, okay, this is what this music is. You know, Chip was good about that because he's, uh, you know, I guess uh, he went to school for marketing. Yeah, you know, so so his thing was, okay, let's let's uh, let's put what this sound is out there. You know, and um, and so from that point, I was really, I think, one of the only DJs who could actually play keyboards. So when I got over to DJ with Rocky, um, I would end up playing on just about everybody's or helping all the, you know, Fast Eddie, Tyree, you know, all the the, the, the new artists um, with their music. Um, it's a long history. <laughs> no, but it needs to be, Joe, it needs to be clear. It's Joe, don't. It's don't miss anything out. It's perfect. <laughs> so you won't wait. So, it, so let's make sure we get it correct in the timeline. Rocky has a studio at so, DJ International. No, at DJ International. Yeah. So he, so he had a basic studio. studio. He had a basic production room and stuff like that. So so what we were doing, we would kind of you know go in there, work on stuff, and then there's a um, a recording studio called Track uh, Chicago Tracks. And um, Chicago Tracks was a uh, uh, a studio up on the um, on the north side of Chicago, and um, rest his soul, Larry Sturm was the the main engineer who we would work with all the time. Um, so it was Larry Sturm and Ron Gresham were the were the two main engineers that we would work with uh, from Chicago Tracks. So so that's kind of how. Uh, going to studios like that, that I myself kind of learned how to engineer and stuff like that. Because I would sit there, you know, you know, back in the day, you're using two inch tape and the engineer is sitting there for an hour trying to get your kick drum to sound a certain way. And I'd be like, this is taking way too long. <laughs> I need to figure this out. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I would kind of just pay attention to what the engineers were doing, you know, talk to Larry, talk to Ryan and kind of learn my way around the studio. So after after learning my way around the studio a bit, then Rocky kind of got in the thing. Well, we need our own studio at DJ International, and so you know um, he ended up putting a, a studio together for for the, the label. Um, and like I said, we were doing I was doing a lot of the, pretty much most of the production. Um, there was Peter Black was one of the how know, far I go, Peter Black. I remember him. Yep. And uh, so the two of us would do most of the stuff out of out of DJ International. Um, then you got um, there was so much going on that uh, at the time. So there's a there's a, a DJ, Craig Loftus. So Craig, um, Craig used to all actually do the lights and stuff and do music and edits and stuff for Frankie at the original warehouse. And um, Fred, Craig went to school for engineering, so. I brought him into DJ International and I was like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't really have time to do all this in, 
engineer for everybody. So somebody needs to do it. This is your job, you know. <laughs> so so we brought you know Craig in um, to to do the engineer for most most everybody. So um, so you have so you have uh, the DJ International stuff going on. You have stuff back from Smart Bar, um, being that when like Time to Jack and these songs came out and the house sound started to kind of permeate around like New York and through Europe, a lot of the labels wanted part of that, you know? So you had um, groups like, like I've done stuff like the Art of No Ways, um, New Order, um, Pet Shop Boys, you know, they all wanted to, that sound with their music. So, you know, I would go, you know, travel around and do projects with people. Um, when the labels wanted to, like when Little Lewis released uh, Nice and Slow, you know, he wanted Tony to do a, a mix on it. Tony flew me in to actually work on his mix for. You talking about, you talking about Tony Humphreys, right? For, uh, for Nice and Slow. The Tony Humphreys, yeah, Tony Humphreys mix. Um, so there was there was a lot, like I said, the at that time house music was the buzzword, you know. Um, and I, like all the labels wanted to be part of it, you know, wanted a piece of what house music was. They and they wanted it from Chicago, you know. So um so yeah, so it it it, it grew, like I said, in the in the the visibility, um the love for the music just started to um you know, started to grow from, uh, you know, from the infancy and the infancy of the of the genre in Chicago. From the actually um, underground scene, because it really was underground. Exactly, it was it was it was totally underground. Now, a lot of people confuse. Um, there's a confusing part of house music in the story of house music. So, there's the house culture, and then there's the genre of music that we created. And um, so people really kind of need to understand the difference. So you have, um, so back from the, the house culture comes from like the high school thing, you know, it, most of the people like really preppy underground, you know, uh, the house had its own style. You know, we were wearing Giorgio Armani, Gucci, you know, Fiorucci, all that stuff like that. And, um, and that was the culture, you know, um, part of the culture was disco. It could have been um, alternative rock music. It was stuff like, uh, you know, the B-52s was part of the house culture. Uh, you know, Rod Stewart was part of the house culture. But what people need to understand, that's not really house music. That's the house culture. So what people kind of gravitated globally to was the Chicago house sound, which is a, is a genre of music. So, you know, this people mix the two together and they really are two separate things, you know, and it's really important for people to understand the two separate things. You know, I, the house genre really started, you know, like as I'll say the earliest 83, 84 uh, from Chicago, from, you know, us doing tracks and having stuff on tape. And it was just a, a new style of music. Um, so, so it's it's difficult because people want to come 
confuse the two. You don't want to confuse the disco yeah, yeah, rock yeah. and think that's house, but it's the house culture. So when you mean when you say house culture, because I, I understand it. So someone who's who's listening to this for the first time, are we saying like a Rod Stewart record, don't you think I'm sexy? Hearing that at a night out, and then what are we talking? Putting a drum beat behind it, a house full no, just the record itself. In the night. In the night, right. So it's the with, journey of the teacher. House. Right. But because it's played at a house party, it's not that that's the genre house. So that genre, like I said, it's confusing because people mix the two together. <laughs> right. And that's why I want you to be clear on so if somebody really understands what they mean, the definition of the house party opposed right. to the house music. Right. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. So it wasn't about remixing the song or anything. It could be, you know, uh, get lifted. You know, it's a, the original track. It could be hit and run. It could be, you know, whatever a disco record. Just play it the way the original disco was. That's part of the house culture. You know what we were doing, like moving body. Um, you know, um, can you feel it? You know, the songs that were created in the early '80s are part of what house music, the genre, is that. Um, that people globally gravitated towards and kind of developed the sound off of. I want to thank everyone who's who's on Twitch, who's moving from, John, I don't mean to do this, but I have to kind of, <laughs> want to thank everybody, my, my people um, are coming on, Timmy Callahan, Anastasia, Mark Tiny, they're all saying, what's up? to Joe Smooth. They love you. Um, and they're all house and disco fanatics and everybody, of course, is on Facebook here today. It's a wonderful treat having a historian, a guy who was in the pit when it was all manifesting at that time. You were right there. Okay. So back to where we're, we need to clarify this one more time. Children of the dance floor, listen carefully. So a night out in Chicago was a house party or at, say, at a church dance, right? Bang right. away with Craig Loftus or any of those DJs, Lil Lewis, because I heard real to reels were brought in, all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay. Right. And a night would be a musical journey because exactly. early house records do not have disco loops in them yet. They're not, that's no. later. The first ones are drum machines and, yeah. and bass lines or 303 with the acid sound in it, whatever that is. That's what we remember the first initial house record sounding like, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. So, so, so that defines the genre. You know, that that's the birthplace there, you know, that, that everything else kind of spawned from. And um, where, do you like, fit in? where do you fit in the birth? Come on. Where are you born now? Because we're trying to find where your part is now. Well, so it goes, like I said, it goes back to uh, Time to Jack in His House is really the first records that I did with Chip. Yeah. So Chippy gets, but Chippy gets so, the, you know, he gets those are some of the first record. records that, like I said, some of the defining points. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because it was Chip's project, you know. I mean, if you look at the label, I'm on there, Kirk's on there. No, but you know what I mean. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.